Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right. Hey, everyone. I am joined by Sushil Thomas, who is the VP of Engineering for Machine Learning at Cloudera. A little bit of background on this interview. Earlier this summer, Cloudera invited me to host a series of roundtable discussions with enterprise data leaders from a variety of industries to explore their experiences building the foundation for success with machine learning and advanced analytics. Uh, so Sheila and I had a bunch of great conversations in that context, and uh, I invited him here to join me for a deeper conversation uh, on the topic. Sushil, welcome to the Twomo AI podcast. Thank you, Sam. Very nice to talk to you again. I, I had a good time at that roundtable talk, too. And I wish we could do this in person. It's kind of insane the world we're living in nowadays. It, it is insane the world we're living in. And, you know, a little bit of background on the Data Leader Roundtable program. It was originally envisioned to be an in-person uh, series of events that we did with folks that were in leadership positions in uh, you know, machine learning and AI and data. And we pivoted that to accommodate the pandemic. And one of the things that I'm curious about and we'll ask you about momentarily is how you're seeing folks adapt to the pandemic in those kinds of roles. But before we do that, you know, let's get a little bit of introduction into uh, to your background and your role at Cloudera. Yeah, so as you said before, I'm VP Engineering for Machine Learning here at Cloudera. Uh, we've increased the scope of that a little bit recently to include a visualization, data visualization platform as well, because it's such a strong part of the machine learning workflow. In my past, so I've always been very close to data, but in different aspects of it. I started out very early working on Solaris and in Sun Microsystems in the first internet boom. So I saw people serving up web pages at massive quantity for the first time on these monster sun machines. And it was a ton of fun to work on those challenges. Moved into a a systems uh, storage company called 3Power Data. So worked on enterprise storage for a long time where you would run the backbone of these data centers from a storage systems perspective. And that was a really interesting set of challenges as well, where, you know, you have like 30, 40 seconds to respond to every single request and you miss even one and the entire data center is down, right? Because there's all these dependencies built into the stack Mm. in different layers. So anyway, that was a lot of fun as well, dealing with big data, but in a different kind of way. And then move from there, once I saw the scale at which these platforms were being built at places like Google and Yahoo very early on, moved into working on uh, distributed systems. So started with a startup called Juvian Data that's got acquired since uh, by Newstar at this point, but essentially working on very large-scale data processing to help the uh, early ad networks process through their data and understand their data. Uh, moved to a company called Asta Data that builds distributed databases, uh, got acquired into Teradata. Uh, so saw a lot of the uh, old-school data warehousing stuff at Teradata as well, and uh, I have a lot of appreciation for all that technology from, from seeing it from the inside as well and seeing how hard it is to do a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, uh, started my own company. It's called Arcadia Data. We did uh, visualization and analytics on, on large data sets. The challenge there was to get business users into the Hadoop platform, which was at the point at a crazy growth stage, right? And now at Cloudera, continuing on into the enterprise data cloud, Arcadia got acquired into Cloudera, sorry, 
So continuing on with the enterprise data cloud and helping enterprises work on this hybrid story. They have a bunch of data on-prem, they have a bunch of data in the cloud, infinite requirements on what they want to do with that data. And so trying to help them through all of that and working specifically on machine learning, AI visualization as a part of that. Got it, got it. And in your your role as VP of engineering, is that primarily focused on engineering the internal products that are offered to customers or how close do you get to the the problems that customers are facing uh, from a machine learning lifecycle perspective? Right. So there's a, there's a few groups that report up to me. Uh, one of them is the machine learning product itself. So we have a product called CML, Cloudera Machine Learning, which is a hybrid platform. It works on-prem, it works on the cloud. It's, it's a very much our product, been in the market for a long time, that targets machine learning developers and data scientists uh, to actually be productive and get a lot of their development, a lot of their production stuff going. We'll talk about that a little bit later, perhaps, in, in some pieces. And then the the other group, one of the other groups is Fast Forward Labs. So this is a machine learning research team. Uh, we do applied research towards a bunch of topics, all open source, all available. Uh, we run webinars every month, every few months. We present to a lot of conferences. So that just uh, helps customers. Like the goal of that organization is to take what is maybe two years ahead in terms of machine learning theory, right? In terms of how quickly it's going to get applied to customers and try to accelerate that process a little bit, show people a glimpse of the future and help them get to solutions on yeah, their yeah. Uh, in their enterprises that, that help with that, right? That we can augment them on. And there's a lot of possibilities there. There's a lot of stuff you're doing in terms of making that even easier, especially as it comes to leveraging all of this stuff on the cloud where everything is very easy, very self-service and should be trivial to get started. And then the third team that's new is the data visualization team. We just announced this, like basically post the Arcadia acquisition, uh, we've been working on integrating that technology into Cloudera's tech stack as well. So now we've integrated data visualization into both the machine learning platform and the core data warehousing platform. And so as uh, machine learning engineers, as data scientists, you now get to look at the data in a very, very easy way, build these end applications that work for end users, business users, and connect the sort of the descriptive data analysis that's always been possible with more prescriptive models and and mesh that data together and and make these beautiful applications for the organization. So Okay. Great. So but as a part of that like as to your questions we always work very closely with customers like my strong push on engineering organizations is always that you cannot just build these products in in isolation, right? So you have to continuously be talking to customers. If I don't have two or three customer meetings every week, then I'm really disappointed. Essentially, and typically it's more than that. And you work in customers at different phases. Like, so you work with the customers that have never heard of you and never use your products. You work with customers that are three years into using your products and that know the ins and outs of your product and their business and have very specific uh, suggestions on, on what you should do next. Uh, so there's like a there's there's a high number of customer conversations always ongoing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned the the data leaders roundtable program earlier, and again we wanted to chat a little bit about that and get your key takeaways. And in particular, that event took place earlier in the the COVID pandemic. This was earlier in the summer. And folks were, you know, in the process of adjusting to working from home and getting their teams set up to to work from home. Now we've got quite a bit more distance under our belts now. And a lot of the organizations that I'm talking to are 
not planning to return back to offices until sometime mid to late next year at the earliest. Yes. Um, and I'm just curious in the, the conversations that you're having, what kind of impact all of this disruption has been having on on data organizations? Is it, you know, has it been impacting them much at all? Uh, is it industry by industry or, you know, are folks still working through what that mean, what this all means? Yeah. So so I think one thing that I didn't know going in, it did surprise me a little bit, but maybe in retrospect, it's obvious. I think one thing is that data has become so core to organizations now and storing all their data and analyzing it, processing it, using it to predict outcomes, using it to understand their business is so central to how organizations work now that at least at Cloudera, we have seen surprisingly little or no impact to our customers. Like even the ones in industries where you would think uh, these industries are substantially impacted, guess what? They still have all of that data. They still have to worry about securing it and using it and leveraging it for for future planning stuff. Of course, as you said, there's been so many changes at organizations just trying to figure out how to get everyone working from home uh, and working remotely. And some organizations do it better than others, but we are all in this place where we are still learning, right? And it's not just the it, right, it's not just the org structure, right? It's just it's just living with the pandemic and all your employees being a little more like their lives being so different, right? And as that goes on and on and on, I think you have to like continually manage people's expectations and psychology and make sure work is not a drain on them. I think we've all gone through how difficult it is to just stay on Zoom the entire day or or stay on video conferencing the entire <laughs> day. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy. So I mean, there's all of that, but on the other side, uh, on the actual challenges of working with data, on the actual concept of getting all these things going, uh, there's not much has changed. All the data teams that I work with have not, you know, reduced or changed in size substantially. If anything, the the big differences I'm hearing of a lot of use cases that are specifically related to the pandemic, as you would expect. Again, I think just highlighting how central data has become to organizations and how much people start with data. I love that notion, right? Like it used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you uh, you want to decide something about your business. Uh, you know, you want to, let's say you're a retail store and you're trying to figure out where you open the next 10 locations. I think 20 years ago, you would have execs sitting in a room, you would have regional leads, right? You would be discussing, yeah, where should we do it, right? And you would pick like a few locations that people think are interesting, people would drive out to it, like things like that, right? And now it's yep, so nice. different. The yep. first thing is like, where's the data? Where are competitors? Where is the spend high, right? So, And where should we open it? And you start with like shortlisting just based on the data. And then maybe you do a sanity test at the end to just make sure, you know, you're not building on a on a radioactive site or something like that at the end. But the fundamentals are so different in how people run their businesses now. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that you are seeing some COVID-related use cases uh, pop up. Are these primarily in the industries like healthcare and the industries that are part of the response to COVID? Or is that is it broader than that? I actually meant healthcare because that is so central. Like we are, um, we are also, you know, I think it's natural to try to be particularly supportive to these industries that are that are trying to help all of us out through this, right? And you see that they have a lot of uh, uh, interesting work that's ongoing now, and that work is very compelling. So I actually meant yeah. healthcare. Cloudera has a large healthcare business, and so there's a lot of companies talking to us about their challenges here and the extra kinds of work and processing they need to do, and seeing if we can help. And of course, we are more than happy to help. 
And so, yeah, so, so just seeing a lot of those use cases, either around planning for the number of folks that come into hospitals now and have to be processed and you have to do all of this planning and forecasting you know things like when do the how many doctors do you need to get what how do you do the scheduling for this stuff what what are your expectations on on workloads and then of course going all the way into the research side and trying to understand which of these are which of these possibilities might work towards vaccines which of these are good treatments options like all of this analysis that's done with the data as well and of course everything is again just related to data right they have at this point there's a ton of data out there on people who've come in, on the kinds of treatments that have been done on them, on remission, on any sort of remission that's happened, on, on what the outcomes have been. And so there's a lot of analysis you can do to get to a place where you can make better decisions about what to do going forward, which is the important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the roundtable, I structured the conversation broadly in terms of the, these three core themes, people, process, and technology Certainly themes that we talk about a lot in the in technology. And I thought we'd spend some time talking through your key takeaway for, you know, in those themes from our discussion, as well as your broader experience talking to to customers, you know, over the the past few months. We touched on some of the impacts of COVID to people, but more broadly, what are some of the key trends you're seeing in organizations that are trying to deploy machine learning, go further with their ability to make use of data, deploy advanced analytics? How are they dealing with the organizational issues that uh, that arise? And what are those issues? So the roundtable was great. And I think it was, at least to me, very different setting, talking to a, a bunch of data leaders together versus talking one-on-one to a single organization and maybe a few people at different levels within that organization. Of course, you've done this a lot more. So I'll give you my takeaways, but I'd love to hear your perspective on whether this was different from the others you've done or not either or also, right? So the one thing that was super interesting to me was, you know, this is obvious when I do the one-on-one conversations, like ML and AI within organizations is still very, very nascent and people are still figuring out what the right way is to do things. And I would contrast this with something like data warehousing, right? Where this is a very, very well understood thing. You know exactly how to set up these organizations. You know exactly what to expect at the end of that. But for ML and AI, it's much more... It's much more subtle, like no one exactly knows what the expectations are. Like normally teams are set up with very, very high expectations on this is just going to magically make everything better. The teams are struggling through, like we heard that all the time, like the teams are struggling with where is the actual data? Is the data clean? Like how do I get rid of all this noise from the data? Then what kind of use cases can I do? And then continuing on, even after you do the first rev of that work, how do you get feedback back into the system? How do you continuously improve these models? How do you serve all this stuff at scale? And how do you keep doing this like for new, newer use cases that come up while maintaining the older use cases so that they continue to be relevant? And how do you keep all of this going at organizational scale? And so I think industry-wide, all of us are in the process of figuring a lot of these things out and what the best practices are here. These are not very well written out today. And so what I heard in the roundtable was initially I thought all the participants were a little bit hesitant because they didn't know if they were the only ones that were in a little bit of trouble (laughs) and that didn't quite know how to solve all these problems, right? But I think as they heard from everybody that we are all in the same boat, it was a lot more uh, like I think there was a lot more discussion about the real challenges that everybody hits, right? Because you just don't know if it's just you, but 
it's just good to know that like everyone's in a very, very similar boat. There's very similar set of challenges across the board. So that is really interesting to me, like seeing that dynamic play out. And I, I don't know if you've seen that in the other roundtables you've done as well. Yeah, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me on this particular point, and in particular the way you framed it, is there's this back and forth in industries. One thing that we're we're grappling with is thinking about machine learning as an engineering discipline versus thinking about it as a science and an exploratory process. And you know, different organizations take different approaches in how they, you know, synthesize these two perspectives. But in a lot of ways, it requires synthesizing these two perspectives. You can't just approach it as a traditional engineering task, and you can't just approach it as a unstructured exploration if you hope to achieve any scale. And you know, I'm I'm curious how that resonates for you as someone who is, you know. VP of engineering for machine learning. Right. So it is fascinating. We are also, I would say, while we have a machine learning product team, what the machine learning product that Cloudera Cells does is it helps engineers around all of the problems of machine learning, right? So there's the actual machine learning code that you have to write, but then there's everything else. There's where's my data, there's how do I clean it, there's there's how do I move these models to production, how do I run metrics, how do I do ground truth uh, tracking, like all yeah. of these problems around the actual 200, 500 lines of code that you'll write to, to train your model and to serve your model. So I think there's a lot around it. That's that's what we deal with. So so very much the thing that our product works on is, I would say, very much the engineering and the science part of it and less of the art part of it. We are very flexible there. We let you do anything you want to, particularly because there's this problem where nobody quite knows that this is the one way in which machine learning is to be done. And I don't think that's going to happen, but I think what will happen over time is, from an industry perspective, these best practices will be better known over time how these organizations, the, the ML data scientist organizations get set up will be better known over time. And there will be less of the expectation difference between what is possible and what is achievable, which is kind of very prevalent today. Uh, you have some execs that will just think this will just work magically. I'll just throw two or three people at this problem. And then you find all of these issues around data and what's needed and what the expectations are on what's on the other side and how you to continuously manage this and stuff like that. So we're going to get better than that. In fact, at Cloudera, uh, you know, we have these uh, PS offerings. We work very closely with customers, not just on the tech, but we also have PS offerings that, that try to get them closer to solving their problems. And one of our very popular PS offerings is a strategy engagement for machine learning, which literally boils down to, you know, I want more machine learning in my organization. How do I get there, right? And so we speak with execs, we speak with business teams that are looking for some of these solutions. We try to meld everyone's expectations together and make suggestions that are right for the organization on how they should structure their ML org. Because that's a challenge too. Like for many of these companies that we work with, they don't have a thriving ML practice now. They would love to have one, but they don't quite know how to get from where they are to that. Yeah. One of the recurring themes that struck me from the roundtables, and for context, we were largely talking to folks from traditional enterprises as opposed to the Facebooks and Googles of the world. And no surprise, they find it very difficult to compete with those organizations for talent. And so there was a lot of discussion around how they groom and upskill and cross-train internal talent from within historical or traditional data organizations to start to enable the organization to move more quickly from a machine learning perspective 
curious what you've seen working well from that perspective and any takeaways that you had from that part of that conversation? Yeah, um, I see a lot of that for sure. It's super hard to get enough machine learning talent, enough AI talent. Also, lots of confusion in the industry, as you know, around terminology, right? Uh, you have you know teams of data scientists that are really uh, either data analysts or they are like data warehousing folks who are just trying to help with cleaning up the data and getting some basic statistical stuff going. Yes. You have teams of people that actually sit in IT, but it turns out they are amazing data scientists and the use cases they do are a lot more predictive and stuff like that, right? There's people who have a hub and spoke model, right? Where they have a central sort of center of excellence. These are the guys who set up the best practices around the technologies they use and deployment practices and stuff like that. And then business units will have their own individual data scientists that they work with for their actual use cases. So yeah, I see a lot of that also in the industry in terms of just not, uh, there's no standard set of terms on who these folks are. And when you hear someone's a data scientist, or if you hear someone's not a data scientist, they could be one. It's just like, it's all over the place. And in terms of attracting, training, and retaining people, I think that's a substantial challenge as well. I do think it's a very, very good idea to help people that are in your organization already that work with data on a day-to-day basis and that want to up-level their skills into, into machine learning and into AI. I'm a big fan of being very supportive of that and getting people trained to a level where they want to. I guess the good news about it is everyone who works close to data is interested in understanding more about machine learning, understanding more about AI, and moving closer and closer to being productive there. So I think as an organization, the opportunity is that you can actually train your people there because they want to be trained in, in those fields. And then the still the tricky bits is just having the structure around this practice so that you can actually use them productively. At the end of that, they can do interesting things while they're learning, and then you can get more people in that area. Mm-hmm. You've talked about some of the different organizational models, hub and spoke versus centralized. Historically, one of the challenges within traditional enterprises and IT is kind of breaking down silos and enabling uh, organizations to communicate and work together effectively. Uh, Are there any things that you've seen work better than others or is it, you know, very, very organizational dependent? Yeah, and it is today it's organizational dependent. I do think if you think about similar things that organizations have wrestled with before and the ways in which they've set it up, I think you get some clues around what might work better. So in my mind, for example, if I think about data warehousing and data platforming, it feels like a very centralized model has worked pretty well there for large organizations where most of your expertise is in, a, is in a central team, they run your data platforms. And anytime you reach a place where there's a bunch of data silos around the place, it's a little bit of a disaster, right? Because you have to then figure out how to make sense of these different interpretations of all this data and all of these things in place. But that's after many years of data warehousing practice. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it worked very well there. But if I can take the opposite side on something similar, if you look yeah. at uh, business analytics as a practice and BI as a practice, it's very much the case that people might build uh, central BI tools and do large contracts so that there's standardization on sort of what the tool is that you're using. But once you've done that, the actual use cases, the actual end use cases are typically don't come from a central organization. There's, there's a few people that work in marketing and a few people who work in sales and a few people who work in product who are actually doing the day-to-day analysis of what's actually happening using those central platforms. 
And I think that's because the data warehousing and, and data platforming is very much a, a problem of scale and standardization and reducing costs and, and trying to make everything very secure and things like that. But business analytics and BI is very much a problem of what do my users actually need? And I need to move really, really quickly, really close to the users. And these requirements change every day. The questions change every day. So the folks that work on this problem have to be really close to those business units. So I am biased towards thinking that that's a better model for, for ML and AI, where the actual outcomes are really close to the business. You need people right next to the business who will work with the business, understand their urgency, build the models, show them the outcomes, do the predictions, all of that stuff. And of course, at the same time, I do very much like this notion of let's standardize on tools and let's standardize on processes and let's make sure once these things are built out that there's a standard way in which we manage and monitor and track these things and augment them over time, right? So I think it's closer to BI and business analytics than data warehousing. But you know, that's my opinion. We'll find out, right? We have, we have a ways to go in figuring this yeah, out. Yeah. But, you know, building on that, assuming a future that has data scientists very closely aligned to the line of business and what its needs are and platform organizations or machine learning engineering or data engineering, you know, those organizations that are building out the central capability existing centrally, what are the practices that allow folks to effectively operate that at scale based on these analogies that you just mentioned? What does that life cycle look like? What are the relationships between those orgs look like uh, in order to allow folks to get things done more quickly? Yeah. And, and again, here, I think we can take cues from what's been done previously for analytics as well. Essentially, the thing that seems to work well is having a standard set of definitions that are organization-wide around the data, having a standard set of security practices and access policies and all that stuff in place that are very strong and very central, but then letting the analysts themselves very liberally work within that framework, right? So there is typically no standard policy on this is exactly what your BI dashboard must look like, right? You must have sort of one KPI on top and three bar charts and this and that, right? You <laughs> want to be you want to be a lot more flexible on that entire use case and that entire surface area and be a lot more prescriptive about the tools you want to use and the practices around access and security to data. So I think there are ways of, of slicing this in a very similar way for ML. You don't want to be prescriptive to the data scientists to say that this is the kind of model you'll use, this is the kind of training you'll do, this is the kind of hardware you will use to do the training, because I think it's an evolving field and a lot of that is continuously changing over time and you want to have that flexibility there. At the same time, when you talk about how you access data and when you talk about how you move something to production and how you monitor the performance of something going ahead, and what the standards are for interpretability that have to be built into whatever whatever you're publishing, and how do you manage in a central way, like uptime and all of these things. I think there's a strong case to be made that that should be formalized, standardized, centralized. It's also something that most data scientists, I mean, it's a little bit of a hassle for them, right? Like that's something that hopefully just works. Like if I want to get data, hopefully it's well understood where that data is and how I get to it. And if it's not there, like who do I complain to about, right? So that it shows up essentially over time. So I think it's all about like, I think from a, the other angle of people and hiring people and retaining people, it's also important that when you get data scientists in, that they work in a productive environment 
And one way to make their environment productive is to have very clear boundaries around a lot of these problem statements so that what they're working on is much more aligned to what they're good at and what they want to do, essentially, which is to do the actual data science, build the use cases, like that's the exciting bit for them. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the recurring challenges that we talked about during the roundtables was the challenge to getting models into production. The uh, I think all of the organizations kind of referenced or at least agreed with this idea that you have many more models that you've tried or that you've experimented with than have made it into production. And some of that is just the natural process of experimentation, but there are also issues that organizations run into when trying to get models into production. Can you speak to some of the, the, you know, the stories that you heard at the roundtables and more broadly, the issues that are preventing organizations from effectively fielding their models? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this is something which is essentially like, so, you know, as I said, there's a few classes of customers we work with. We work with organizations that are really early in their journey that are trying to build something, build an initial practice out on how to use these technologies. There are other organizations who've used our product for multiple yeah. years, right? Who have teams of 50 people in that central team. And then they have a large number of users, uh, data scientists in the spoke teams, right? So we work with fairly large organizations as well who are pretty far along in their practice. The feedback is pretty consistent that production is still something that's very, very, very important to them, essentially, right? Production ML, all of these issues. And there's a category, there's sets of issues around, first of all, it's just metrics, like what is the standard way in which you're going to publish and look at metrics? There's the whole thing about uh, monitoring. When you deploy this, first of all, how do you deploy it? What's the platform in which you deploy something to production? And then how do you monitor what's in production over time? How do you scale it up and down elastically? How do you do all of that stuff? And then the third large thing is governance. Like if you're, so so there's two challenges, right? The first challenge is getting your initial model to production. That's typically a really large challenge if you've not dealt with it, if you've not solved those problems. The second thing is once something in, is in production, how do you change it, right? Because uh, changing is super complicated. It implies that you know how the, your model is performing in production now, and you have a theory that the modification is going to make it better. Like that's one. So that means you have to have good measurement practices before and after and comparison. Second, there's the entire workflow of this is not a one-off change. Typically, changes could happen multiple times a week, multiple times a day, depending on the organization that you are and the type of model you're building. So this is not a one-off problem where you get together and fix it. This is complete like CICD versioning. It's like standard software development practices that have to be applied here. And you'll see many, many data scientists who are just not familiar with software development practices at that level because that's not the kind of work that they have done prior. And then there's the challenge of uh, once everything is running in production, how do you keep monitoring that over time? How do you compare that to ground truth, right? How do you uh, run all these uh, metrics, not just on an instant basis in terms of timeliness and how reasonable the predictions are, but also compare to ground truth and understand if you're doing things overall better or worse, things like that. And if you've not solved these problems, these are massive problems. And these are things that you must solve through standardized tooling, right? Organization-wide. It's pointless to have each of your business teams solve these separately. It's pointless to not have an org-wide policy on how this stuff is done. Of course, uh, the Clara product do it. Other products do it as well. The more important thing from the organizational perspective is just to have a stance on these things so that your data scientists spend less time being frustrated about these practices and more time being productive. Mm-hmm. And what's your sense for how far along organizations are on that journey? Uh, in, in Silicon Valley, you know, we've got 
as we alluded to a little earlier, like very distinct roles. There's the data scientist that's focused on one part of the process. And, and to your earlier point, the definitions you know, vary fairly widely. But then you've got machine learning engineers that tend to be more familiar with concepts like CICD and DevOps and platform technologies and, and things like that. My sense, at least, is that in more traditional organizations, the distinction in those roles is evolving. But yet, at the same time, a lot of these same organizations have gone through this process in considering like the evolution in the way they feel web applications. There used to be just developers, then they started to you know, have platform teams and build out internal platforms. And so I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of you know, how mature are enterprises in this journey and you know, where they need to evolve. Yeah, and as you said, it varies so much. Interestingly, if you look at any of these organizations that you would think are doing these this well, right, uh, that in the Valley, right, these, these orgs that have been doing it maybe five, 10 years and have fairly large teams at this point that deal with this, what you will see is that they have their own internal tooling they built for a bunch of this because when they started out, there's really was not something that worked well for them uh, in this area, right? right? So I guess what's challenging from a larger industry perspective is if you're not a crazy Silicon Valley tech company with like 300 data scientists that you've solved for by spending large amounts of treasure and building custom tooling, I think the challenge is uh, just finding that, like figuring out what that process is that works for you at the scale that you're at. And I think there's the other overlapping point here is that you're right, many of these organizations have standard ways in which they've done web app development and internal product development and stuff like that for themselves before. So I think another challenge is just trying to understand what's different between that standard web app sort of development and product development versus like a MLAI model going into production, because there are large, substantial differences that are really important to internalize and understand so that you can focus on different aspects of it as well. And as an org that's starting out with this, if you're bringing up a team, which is like, you know, five, 10 data scientists in size to begin with, it's so hard to plan ahead for all of these issues before you know them or before you hit them. And so I think I, I, there is a lot of variance in terms of where people are with this. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in that it's different enough that you certainly can't take a snapshot of your you know, DevOps process and apply it to machine learning and that leads folks to think that it's, you know, wholly new and magic and it needs some totally new thing. But yet there still is a lot that you can learn about the experience you had you yes. know, going through the past 10 years of DevOps. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's like, as you said, like that's both good and bad. Like the yeah. good thing is you don't have to reinvent everything. The bad thing is you might think you're already there and you don't understand the differences well enough. And, you know, it's also one of these areas in tech which unlike most of the areas in tech, like, you know, you can have technologists that have been in the industry for 20, 30 years, right? And if you ask them about Docker and Kubernetes and a bunch of these areas that are fairly new, right? People are fairly familiar with them. Like, it's fine. I understand it. It maps to something we've done before. You know, sure, uh, we've used VMs for a long time now, like Docker, Kubernetes, like, you know, I understand all this stuff, right? It's straightforward. If you talk to most engineers who've been in around for 20, 30 years and you start talking about machine learning, you will find there's a level of, of discomfort, right, with that technology, right? People are not completely certain how it works, what it does, what it can actually do for them. There's all these reports in the news about how tech is, how ML and AI is used, which always seem 
so far-fetched like suddenly it's beating the best go player in the world right and it's like it's yeah. it's, it's totally on top of anything that's chess related and then you look at what you're doing and you're looking or at or even dog fights in the air force uh, there you go right it's it's yeah it's it's i don't know how that went but yes like even the possibility that it's doing that is is crazy yeah. uh, and and then you look at simulated your, i should say <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Yeah, and then you look at your organization internally and you're having challenges just getting a real-time feed of like sales over time, right? And just understanding like what happened yesterday versus today and what's different and where the outliers are. And it seems so far away. And so I think you see a lot of that discomfort reflected internally in organizations where people are just not sure how they should move forward. And that just also slows down a little bit of the cadence on, on how they can do it. As like the leaders were telling us on that roundtable as well, their challenge is just trying to map those expectations to the teams they're building, like making sure everyone, everything moves up and they can keep uh, hiring and getting best practices in as the teams grow to a reasonable size. And it's just a set of one challenge after another, but that's what makes it fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I noticed in the conversations that we had at the roundtable is that the folks that we spoke to were fairly mature on the core data, you know, from a core data maturity perspective, just kind of by selection. And I'm wondering, that may also be the case in your experience with the folks that you talk to by virtue of the fact that you're at Cloudera. Um, And I'm curious your take on this idea that, you know, centralizing your data is a prerequisite to doing ML and advanced analytics at scale. And, you know, what exactly that means, how mature you, you need to be. You mentioned that folks still struggle with some fairly basic things. That is all a shifting landscape. Yeah, any reflections on that? Yeah, so as you said, like certainly um, Cloudera works with the Fortune 500, the Fortune 2000, and and these are organizations that have typically got their data story together over the last 20 years, let's say, right? Not just regular data warehousing kind of data, but also they know how to integrate with these big data technologies, how to store massive amounts of data, how to secure, analyze all of this stuff as well. So they are, they are pretty far along. I think even if you are a smaller company starting out or if you're a, you know, a SMB, I think the patterns around data are reasonably well understood now. People will still argue about one tech versus the other, but there's a fairly well understood notion of you know, like a data lake, a, a warehouse where things are a lot more structured, a transactional store, which is maybe you know, using a key value store that, that's that for much faster accesses. And I think that high level thing is understood any, in fact, typically the data silos problem that you see tends to be in larger companies where the data teams are so disconnected from business that business feels compelled to, to take on like some of that challenge themselves just so they can get more responsiveness. But even then, the business teams are working within the constraints of these well-understood patterns, right? They're setting up their own little data mart somewhere on the side without talking to central IT, but the patterns still are pretty well understood. So I think in terms of the on getting their data story together, I would say most organizations are are in reasonably even shape in terms of solving that core problem. It's of course it's a much harder challenge to solve for the larger companies, which is why it's sort of admirable that they've done it over the last couple of decades. But that is reasonably in good shape. The continuing challenge in both large companies and small companies is okay, yes, you have data. But if you want to run a particular kind of analysis on it, that data has to be transformed in some way first, just to make things efficient and to make things manageable. And as those use cases come in every single day from every single part of your company, 
what happens over three, four, five years is you have, you know, the same data is now like stored in these different forms. It's used for these different use cases. There's a massive ETL and pipelining thing that you're running to just make sure everything stays up to date. And then there's continuously, there are new requirements where you have to figure out, does this, have I already solved this somewhere? And that's a hard problem to, like, that's a hard ask, right? Because no one quite understands the catalog as well as they should and, and things like that. And then if I've solved this somewhere, but there are some small changes needed, how difficult it is to make that change. So just change management, structure management, data management at, at that level, I think is super hard for companies at all levels, right? It's, it doesn't matter how large you are. The requirements yeah. keep changing. There's no, you cannot have solved this problem completely. It's just not possible. Yeah, I'm just reflecting on, you know, many years ago, talking to folks at Cloudera, Hortonworks about data lakes when we were first starting to talk about this as an idea and how it was going to be the end of ETL. We wouldn't need to do ETL anymore. I think companies are doing a lot more ETL, to your point, not less. And machine learning is just one more driver for that. Yeah, it turns out like the data explosion was just step one. Step two was the use case explosion, right? And every yeah. use case brought like this massive numbers of changes that had to be made to how you store and manage this data so that the use case be more efficient. And yeah, so I think that's, you're right. Like, so ML AI is just another explosion in terms of like what's possible now. And that leads to a bunch of changes. You know, and the challenges are so basic, right? Like I was speaking to an organization a couple of months back where they have these data scientists their challenge was like, I asked them like, what, what does your hardware setup look like? They described the hardware setup to me. I said like, so where are your GPUs? They're like, we don't have GPUs. I said, why don't you have GPUs? It makes no sense because they're, it's really advanced. They're doing a lot of really interesting work. Clearly they could use it. And the response was our IT doesn't, like GPUs are not on the approved purchase list by our IT, right? So it doesn't matter. I have asked multiple no. people, <laughs> we have gone through the channels, like it is just not approved. Like there is no approved uh, GPU that they can purchase. And so they were really excited because I was also talking to them at the time about our hybrid cloud story and how we work on the cloud and on-prem and all these things. And their only question during the presentation was, okay, so in your cloud platform, how can I provision a GPU? <laughs> and I showed them there's a slider. <laughs> Right. And that's it. And then the second set of challenges of, OK, I have to convince my central data teams that it's OK to move to the cloud for some of this data that I need. They were willing to take that on because they're like, OK, it solves all these other problems for us, at least that we don't have to deal with. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's such that a. That was going to be my question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such an interesting world we live in. Right. And things change all the time. And all these organizations have to try to move with it. And, and there's yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, well, just to, to wrap things up, we started talking about use cases, and then you brought up this very, you know, if we can call it a mundane challenge that organizations have to deal with. And there is this tension, you know, you get this especially when talking to folks at the leadership levels of data and MLAI organizations between kind of these inspirational use cases that get folks excited and get them all their funding, and the mundane get on first base, low-hanging fruit that still abounds in many, many organizations. And I'm curious your perspective on how the organizations that you talk to manage the, you know, the tension between these two types of use cases. And there are any stories that you've heard about how folks have, you know, have moved forward given all that. Right. So I think the, the one thing I've seen that's changed recently 
is that ML and AI techniques are becoming a standard part of the typical business analysis, business intelligence that organizations do as well. So I guess what's happening is it's it's genuinely getting, you know, this is a very overused term, but those requirements are getting a lot more democratized and a lot more people are thinking about how can I do more of this just because uh, the state that the technology is in. So from an organizational perspective, I think there are two things happening. There continues to be this high level, pie in the sky sort of thing of like, here's this amazing thing that we can do, right, with AI and ML. There's also this on the ground, consistent movements towards more and more advanced analytics and more and more interesting insights and predictions that can be made from the data today. That's also an ongoing movement. I certainly think that latter part is the way for most organizations to get started. Just be a little more grounded in where you are. Try to make that a little bit better. Try to add in these things that make sense. And then sure, you can have the the visionary thought on, on what else you can do and you can spend you know, some of your cycles on that. But it's important to just up-level org-wide what you can do with all of your data and and how you can understand your business by using all of these techniques rather than just, you know, go for the one or two crazy ideas, which work, as we know, sometimes also. So it's it's impossible to say don't do them either. So Great, great. Well, Sushil, it's great catching up with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to reflect on this uh, series of roundtables with me. Yeah, very nice talking to you as well, Sam. Thanks for your time. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.